0: I'm going to start reading verse 1 of Haggai chapter 2. It says, In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehodak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now in comparison with it? Is it not in your eyes is nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehodech, the high priest. And be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord. And work. For I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I coveted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Father, as we take a few minutes this morning to consider your word, I thank you so much for the privilege it is for me to be here this morning with Reliance Church. Lord, this is, this is kind of like my home away from home. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that, God, we would hear, Lord, you so clearly in what you want to communicate to us today. We give you our hearts, our lives, our minds. And we pray that you would be high and lifted up in our midst. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Not only are you disappointed that Pastor Ted is not speaking to you this morning, but the, one of the reasons you go to this church, I know it is, is you love that he, Pastor Ted, goes through the scriptures, meaning what he's done preaching the week before is where he's going to pick up with a week later. These are why we love churches just like this. And then some guest speaker shows up and drops you in the middle of what? Haggai, I thought the book was called Haggai You could pronounce it that way too Or Haggai if you're from the valley That's okay as well But but this book here We need to understand a little bit of the context Before we get into the message this morning You see, Haggai is one of the prophets known as a minor prophet. The 12 books that close the Old Testament are known as the minor prophets. But they're not called minor prophets because the men who wrote them were of minor importance. Nor was it because what they said was of minor importance. No, the only reason they're called minor prophets is compared to the major prophets of Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Isaiah What these men wrote were minor in length in comparison So they wrote shorter books And yet of all the 12 minor prophets that that close the Old Testament The last three are my absolute favorite And they're my absolute favorite because I feel like they speak Into lives that are similar to mine and yours And here's what I mean by that Uh, Of nine of the 12 minor prophets They're written either to rebellious Israel and I'm not just talking about the kind of rebellions that you and I face there there were seasons of Israel's life where they were actually sacrificing their children to false gods that's not a struggle you have in your life that is open rebellion against the Lord and some of these minor prophets are speaking to rebellious Israel I'm not rebellious Israel Two of the other minor prophets, Nahum and Obadiah, are speaking to pagan nations who don't believe in God at all. And that's certainly not what I am, and for most of you, not who you are as well. But these last three minor prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, they're speaking to a group of people who are wanting to serve. God with all of their lives the context is 16 years before the books of Haggai and Zechariah were written 16 years before this Cyrus king of Persia he gives the command to the Jewish people anyone that wants to leave their bondage in Persia anybody wants to leave that time they can go back to Jerusalem and build their city and their temple again And out of the two to three million Jews who were in Persia at that time, 50,000 Jews left Persia and said, I'll go serve God. I will trust God. I will take steps of faith. I will see what God wants to do in my life. And 50,000 Jews go to Jerusalem to build the city again, to build the temple again. So that's why I'm saying they're like you and me. We want to serve God. We want to follow him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But just like them, we're not perfect. Neither were they. Because what happens is they get back to Jerusalem and they're all excited to serve God. But then they get discouraged and distracted. They get discouraged because of the size of the work. The temple, Solomon's temple, lay in ruins after King Nebuchadnezzar 70 years before destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And they're looking at stones the size of train boxcars. And they don't have any cranes and modern construction equipment that you and I have. And they're just looking at saying, how are we ever going to move this? How are we ever going to get this temple built again? And they were just discouraged at the size of the work. On top of that, they were discouraged because the people that had moved into the land were now claiming, this is our land. Why, why do you get to come back here and build this city? Why do you get to decide who we worship in this area? And they were fighting the Jews. And if that wasn't bad enough, then there was infighting among themselves. Not that, not that believers in God ever fight among themselves. They do that at other churches, not here, of course. But there's this infighting among themselves and, and, and they were discouraged at the work. More than discouraged, they got distracted. They started focusing on their own houses. They started building their own stuff, their own priorities. And they stopped the work God had called them to do. Not for a week, not for a month. They stopped working for 15 years. And into that, God sends two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. And those two guys couldn't be any more different guy that we're looking at this morning, he's an old guy. And he's really... Sh- sh- quick and to the point. He only writes two chapters, but he's very preachy. He's very in your face. We'll see it today. He's got commands that they're to follow. Then God sends at the same exact time Zechariah, And Zechariah is very young. And he has all these visions that he sees. And in the visions as he interprets them, he's very encouraging. Putting his arm around the guys saying, come on bro. You can serve the Lord. And I love that. God knows some of us need military like instruction. Some of us just need a, hey, get going right now. Yes, sir. And we get after it. Some of you, some of you need someone to put an arm around you and like, hey, bro, it's time to serve the Lord. And you're like, yeah. (laughs) And the reality is most of us need both. We need both of those things and God knew the people of Jerusalem needed both so he sends them both Zechariah and Haggai to get them out of their lethargy and to get back to serving the Lord again. And why I think this is a word of the Lord for Reliance Church today I feel like we all find ourselves in the same place. We know what God has called us to do. We know there's sins that he's called us to deal with in our lives. We know there's ways he wants us to be as husbands, as wives, as single men and women serving the Lord. There's things he wants us to do. There's ministries he's entrusted to us. And, And what happens to us? We get discouraged. We get discouraged because the marriage is difficult. The The kids are hard. Being a single person in this world, I can't even imagine today what some of you young men and women are facing. It's discouraging when you see the size of the work and you and I get distracted. We get focused on our own priorities. We get focused on our own deal. We get distracted by our own sinful natures. And so we, like the people of Jerusalem, need God to speak into our lives. And so I direct your attention again to Haggai chapter, 2 verses 4 and 5 the verses will also be up on the screen and we'll see what God exhorts them to do he gives them four exhortations located at the end of this text it says and yet now be strong and work for I am with you says the Lord of hosts according to the word that I coveted with you when you came out of Egypt so my spirit remains among you do not fear God, through the prophet Haggai, gives these people that are discouraged and distracted. He gives them four exhortations, and I encourage you. Write them down. If you forgot pen and paper today, pray them in, think them through, and let your heart be, be provoked, out of discouragement, to be provoked out of distraction in our lives. What are those things? Well, the first thing Haggai tells them to do is to get to work, to get to work. And church, you've got to understand the emphasis of the Hebrew text. And the emphasis of the Hebrew text is get to work now. Not later, not next week, not with January 1 coming up. It is time to get to work now. You see, understanding the mentality of the, the Jews living in Jerusalem in Haggai's day, it was not that they didn't believe they were supposed to build the temple. They knew exactly what God was calling them to do. They knew the heart of the Lord. It wasn't that they were confused on the task. It wasn't that they would disagree with that. Yes, God wants us to rebuild the temple. They had just said, we will do it later. Later. We see that in chapter one of this two-chapter book. The verse will be up on the screen. It says, In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month of the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shittiel, the governor of Judah, and, and, and to Joshua, the son of Jehodek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of Hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. You see right there in the text in front of you on the screens, it is not that they thought we're not supposed to build the temple. They knew they were supposed to build the temple. Their problem was, it's just not time. It's just not time. There'll come a better season when the work will get easier, when the distractions will be less. It's just not the right time. And I want you to hear this, church, because the enemy's tactics rarely change. He does the same thing with you and me. What we know God wants us to do in our lives personally, dealing with issues in our life and in our carnality. Maybe things he's speaking to us into our marriages, into our singleness, into our parenting. Maybe in ministries he's given you to, to do. God, you know what God is calling you to do. The enemy doesn't come to you and say, well, oh, that's not important. The enemy distracts us by saying, it's important, just do it later. Right? Haven't we all faced that? You know, you remember, but if if you if you are not young and single here today, when you were young and single, and all of a sudden you knew God, you wanted God to you were supposed to follow the Lord, but you thought, I'll I'll do that, but I'm single. Once I get married, once I'm established in a marriage, then I'll get serious about serving the Lord. And then you get married and you think, oh, we're just experiencing life together. Once we have kids, then we'll get serious about the Lord. And then you had kids and you realize little kids are crazy. And all of a sudden, you're going, <laughs> one's running here, and the other one's running there, and they're dropping food all over themselves, and they're going to they're gonna kill themselves at any moment running out in traffic, and I, I'm just too busy to serve the Lord right now. So once the kids get older, then I'll get serious about Jesus. Then I'll get serious about the work. And let me tell you, as one who now has high school kids, you think it gets easier. It doesn't. It just doesn't, because now they've got this practice to go to, and this function to go to, and this friends group over here, and that group over there. And, and, and all of a sudden, oh, once, once they're out of the house, once they're in college, then I'll get serious about serving the Lord. But here's what I think is going to happen. They get out of the house, and then those grandbabies come. And someone's got to be around for the grandbabies. So I just got to be a present grandparent. So once the grandkids get out of there, listen, we say tomorrow but the reality is tomorrow never comes. And procrastination in our walks with the Lord and in serving the Lord, they're such a killer. Procrastination is a killer. There's a great uh, true illustration from history. Uh, a man who was the ruler of Thebes, a man by the name of Archidus, he was known historically as just uh, the historical example of procrastination. And, and, and he was throwing a party one day. And as the party was starting, a messenger brought a letter to him And Archidus looked at that letter and he put it into one of his little little robe pockets there and he said, hey, business tomorrow, party today. And as he went on in the party, an hour later, he fell over dead. And as they were carting his body out, the letter fell out of the pocket. A friend picked it up, opened it up. And in the letter was a detailed assassination attempt that they were gonna poison him at the party and he was supposed to leave immediately. And because he just had a a history of putting things off, putting things off, putting things off, eventually it was the death of him. Well, friends, I feel like for some of us, the enemy of our soul has assassinated our effectiveness in God because not that he's changed our mind. We know what we're supposed to do. We believe in what we're supposed to do. It is a good thing that we're supposed to do. We just want to do it later. No, church, it is time to serve God and it is time to serve him now. The next thing that Haggai mentions to them is not just it's time to get to work now, but secondly, he reminds them in their discouragement, in their distraction, he reminds them, God is with you. He tells them, I'm with you in this. You're looking at this mountain of rubble. You're thinking, how am I gonna get this done? You're distracted by your own stuff. You're discouraged by the infighting that's going on among you and the the warfare from without. Would you remember God's? people he tells them I am with you there is something ultra encouraging about remembering that the Lord is with us that we do not have to go through these trials that we do not have to accomplish these tasks that we don't have to deal with our shortcomings in our life in the strength of our own ability the Lord is with us it encourages us, and I think it also helps us get to work. I, I know because I had a tendency as a child to kind of want to put off tasks to the last minute, too. My mom, she'd say, It's time to clean your room. And then she would sit there while I did it. And I would say, Don't you need to go to the store or something like that? Don't you need to go get some stuff done? Because I wanted her to go so I could play for a little bit and then hurry at the very end. And when she would sit there, oh man, now I gotta get to work. (laughs) Now I've gotta do this task. Well, the Lord is saying to you both to encourage you and to challenge you, I am with you. I'm with you. You see, you might look at your life and you, I don't see that because it seems to me like everything's against me. Maybe it seems to you that your health is against you as you're fighting disease and sickness. Maybe you look at your life and it seems like finances are against you. You can just never seem to get ahead of the debt and the bills and the collections maybe you look at your life and it's just people are against you your your bosses at work are against you maybe your family's against you you saw that Thanksgiving announcement you're like I'm going to sign up to have Thanksgiving with somebody from the church not because I don't have a family I just don't want to see them at Thanksgiving I want to be with people that love Jesus during Thanksgiving what a great opportunity maybe all these people are against you and you go I don't understand it seems like everybody is against me it might be absolutely true in your life but here there is something you can know today the lord is not against you in fact quite the opposite he is working for you he's working for you you know this famous verse it'll be up on the screen romans 8:28 and we know that all things work together for good to those who love god and to those who are called according to his purpose now, keep that verse up there on the screens for just a second because I want you to look at that verse. Notice that verse does not say that all things in our life are good. It doesn't say that at all. You got to know that because anytime a tragedy strikes, a school shooting, a terrible fire, the news crew seems to find the one Christian that doesn't know that's what that verse says. And then they come there, oh, what do you think about the school shooting? It's a good thing. No, it's not. It's not a good thing. All our homes are gone. It's a good thing. No, it's not. God doesn't say that all things are good. There's a lot of things in this world that are terrible, friends. There are things that I face and you face in your life and we face them, why? Because we're sinners. I get myself into a lot of trouble all by myself. I don't need anybody else's help. But I have other people's help because sometimes I face difficult things because other people have sinned against me. And sometimes we face things in this world just because we live in a fallen world, right? And a world has sickness and disease. It's not your fault. It's not your husband's fault. It is just this world's fault. God doesn't say that all things are good. It says that God will work all things for good in your life. He'll take the good things, the bad things, the ugly things, and he will work them for good in your life. And even in that, we say, well, I don't see that. I don't see him working for good in my life. He hasn't healed me. He hasn't provided for that debt to be paid off. He's not working for my good. That's not the good that God is speaking of. In the very next verse, verse will be up on the screen, verse 29, God tells us through the apostle Paul what the good is God is working for our life. It says, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. The good that God is wanting to work in your life is to make you more like Jesus. And church, that is something all of us need desperately. I need to be more like Jesus in my marriage. I need to be more like Jesus in my parenting. I need to be more like Jesus for the church that I have the privilege of pastoring. I need to be more like Jesus. And God will take the good things, the bad things, the ugly things in my life, and he's For me, He's with me, and He'll work them for good into my life. That in the end, I may not be healed, I may not have all the provision financially, but I will look like Jesus because Jesus is for me and with me. Praise the Lord! So I can get after the work God's calling me to do. You can get after the work God is calling you to do, even though it's discouraged and you're distracted because God says, get to work now. And he says, I'm with you. The third thing he says to the people of Haggai's day is he tells them, my word has not changed towards you. God reminds them through the prophet Haggai that this, this, them going back to Jerusalem to build the temple, to build the city of Jerusalem, it was not something willy-nilly that God just put together. It wasn't something Cyrus came up with or Jeremiah came up with. This was God's plan for their lives. God had spoken through the prophet Ezekiel. God had spoken through the prophet of, of Jeremiah and he had given them the exact time that the captivity would be over, that they would go back to Jerusalem and build, the city again this was something ordained in God's word and God tells them you're distracted you're discouraged but my word toward you has never changed and church I want you to think about this in your discouragement in your distractions the word of God has not changed toward you either God is still for you he will never leave you. His blood has covered your sin totally and completely. And someday, I believe, soon and very soon, He is coming again. Amen. 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 That is our reality, that is our future. He's coming again. There's coming a day when God is going to set his foot down on the Mount of Olives. It'll split in two, and every trial will be over. Every struggle will be over. Everyone that comes against you, that'll all be done. And to that I say, Amen. But listen carefully. That means this we have a short time frame right now to serve God when it isn't easy you understand what I mean? There's coming a day when it will be relatively easy to serve Jesus, right? I mean, there's no unbelievers in that day. He's right, he's right there. Like you can see him. He's like, I don't believe in God. Just look over. like that. He's right there on the Mount of Olives. Like there, there's no unbelievers. Nobody's shaking their fist at the heavens. Everyone that is, that, that is profane is cast out, cast away. It's the thing to serve God in that day. I know that's not our day today You face trials and struggles You face people that are against you As I said earlier Even in your own homes We face discouragement We face this tear in our hearts To do the wrong thing And go the wrong way And I want to tell you friends You've got this opportunity To serve God when it isn't easy And I think for those of us that say, amen, I'm going to choose to follow God. I'm going to choose to stand for him in a world that denies him over and over again. I'm going to choose to stand for God when it isn't popular, when it isn't the right thing to do, as it will be soon and very soon in your lives. Church, I think that blesses the heart of God. I really do. I mean, think about the Lord. He sits above this world where I don't know the percentage, but... 90% of the world doesn't know him It's probably more than that And they're they're aggressively Antagonistic Against him They shake their fist at him They, They deny him and then blame him For every bad thing that goes on in the world And he looks in this sanctuary today And he sees Relatively percentage wise speaking A few men and women Who say I'll serve you I'll follow you No, it's not easy. No, there's temptations to go the opposite direction. No, no, it's, it's, it's difficult to do this, but I choose to follow you because your word has never changed toward me. You are for me. You love me. Your blood covers all of my sin, and one day I'll be in heaven with you, and all these trials and struggles will be over, but right now, while it's difficult, I will choose to follow the Lord. I think that blesses the heart of God because doesn't it bless you when people have your back when worlds around you don't? Doesn't that bless you? Don't, don't you love it when people are supportive of you? You're Kind of quiet today. You like when people are against you? I know I'm, I'm a lot more yelly than your pastor, but, but the reality is like, it's okay to say, hey, amen. Yeah, yeah, totally. I agree with that. Like, yes, we all love it when people love us. And I don't think the Lord is as petty as you and I are He says to his disciples, right in the midst of it, he says, You are my friends. He knows those that are his friends. We have a limited opportunity in this world to serve him and God's word hasn't changed to us. Let's get busy for the kingdom, dealing with the issues in our heart, letting him work things into us that can get worked in no other way, being obedient in callings he's put in our lives, being obedient as husbands and wives, as as children, as young people, as parents, being what God has called us to be. Get to work now because he is with you. His word hasn't changed for you. And last thing today, the fourth thing he tells them, is he says, my spirit remains. His spirit remains. This is so important. You see, there's still the point where you go, wait a second, great, he's for me. His word hasn't changed to me. But it's hard to be the husband God wants me to be. It's hard to be the wife God wants to be. It's hard to be a single person in this world with all of its distractions. It's hard. It's hard to serve God. My flesh wants to go in a completely different other direction. This is hard to do. Isn't it a great reminder to know the Holy Spirit is still present to help? When the disciples were losing their mind when they heard Jesus was leaving, what did Jesus tell them? He told them, I will not leave you orphans. I will not. I will come to you. I will send my spirit to you. And my spirit will enable you to be the men and women God has called you to be. And how those disciples needed the Holy Spirit, amen? After three years of being discipled by Jesus himself, that's a pretty cool discipleship program, Three years of that, what are they doing the night he is betrayed? They are still arguing about who is the greatest. He's trying to wash their feet, pour out his heart to them, and they're, I'm better than you. No, I'm better than you. And Jesus says, before you go do ministry, wait in Jerusalem till I empower you from on high. In other words, the three and a half years of discipleship apparently didn't take. You need the Holy Spirit <laughs> in your lives. And I'm joking, we're laughing, but that's absolutely true. They needed the power of the Holy Spirit that changed Peter from somebody who denied the Lord the night that Jesus was betrayed to the preacher of Pentecost, the one that changed James and John from the guys that wanted to set the Samaritans on fire. They wanted to kill people, friends. Let's read the Bible for what it is. To the apostles of love. That's the power of the Holy Spirit that can change you from the inconsistencies and the outright sin that is dominating your heart to a man or a woman that serves Jesus with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the Holy Spirit's gone nowhere. When my wife and I were left California, we were were from here, then we went to Texas for seven years to plant a church and to be out there. We're back in the desert of California now, but... When we were in, in Paris, Texas, we were meeting about 15 people that would be Calvary Chapel, Paris, Texas, eventually, and we're having this dinner, and the people said to me that night, they said, we got, we got two things you got to know before you move here, and I said, okay, lay them on me. Number one, we don't believe in children's ministry, and I said, oh, you don't believe in it? Like, <laughs> what do you mean by that? And they said, we don't, we don't believe in separating our kids. I'm, okay, okay, what, 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 what should we do with the kids? Put them on our laps. I said, well, your kids are very well-behaved, but I got two that I'm bringing with me to Texas at the time. I got three now, but I had two at the time. And I said, they don't want to sit and listen to their daddy for 45 minutes. That's just not, that's not what they want to do. Like, I don't understand. Can we maybe provide it for those that would like it? Never mind. We'll talk about that later. What's the second thing? And the second thing they said, we don't believe the Holy Spirit is for today. And I said, Huh? <laughs> I said, oh, because I realized a lot of them were from Dallas Theological Seminary or their former pastor was. And so, you know, that's a church not to get in the weeds here today, but they believe in that the gifts of the Spirit aren't for today. And so I said, you believe that the gifts of the Spirit aren't for today. I'm from Calvary Chapel, so you're, you're afraid I'm going to start speaking in tongues mid-message, and, and you're afraid of that. And since you've never been to this church, you don't know that's never going to happen ever, 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 ever. But, and they said, no, we don't believe the Holy Spirit is for today. Where'd he go? <laughs> like, like, you know Trinity means three, right? Like it's, like, it's Duinity. Like, no, no, it's a Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Where'd he go? Where'd he go? Well, the answer that night is the same answer this morning. He has gone nowhere. He is our ever-present help in time of need and when we are distracted with our sin with our own projects when we're discouraged by how difficult the work is thinking it'll never get done I'm reminded of what the other prophet the younger prophet sent to this group says in Zechariah 4 the work that is before you will not be done by might or by power but by my spirit says the Lord And I think God just wanted to remind you today because you know what God is calling you to do. You know what he's calling you to do. You know who you're supposed to be in your marriage. You know who you're supposed to be in your parenting. You know who you're supposed to be in your singleness. But knowing it and doing it is a completely different thing. And so God wanted to lovingly speak into your life today. It's time to do the work and it's time to do it now. Remember, I'm with you, says the Lord. I'm working everything for good in your life. My word hasn't changed towards you. We've got a unique short time to serve God before it gets easy to serve God. And I'm thankful for that day. Don't misunderstand me. But a unique time right now. And we haven't been left orphans. God has given you his spirit for us to cry out and say, Father, fill me with your spirit to be the husband, to be the wife, to be the person, the single person that you've called me to do. God, fill me with your spirit to deal with these sin issues in my life that I might be the man or the woman you've called me to be. Amen? Amen. Amen.